0: Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, people! And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey so it we have a big show planned we are talking local film festivals we'll talk about the spanish film festival later in the program but first we are very excited to talk about for film's sake now For Film's sake have launched their program the festival is kicking off next week it runs in sydney and around sydney from april 11 through 15 and we have the director of For film's sake with us here in the studio sophie matheson sophie thank you so much for joining us
1: my pleasure
0: So for film's sake, it's going to be a big year. Before we get into the program, can you tell us a little bit about the festival and what it's all about?
1: Yeah, so we're the flagship female film festival, so we're one of only six actor-accredited festivals, which means that anything that shows um, as part of the festival, and is um, eligible for our national awards. So, yeah, our big kind of, I guess, mission statement is to um, create distribution and exhibition opportunities for um, female identifying and female uh, filmmakers. But uh, I, I guess, you know, w- traditionally we were called WOW, which was World of Women's Cinema. We rebranded um, just before the 2017 festival. And that was something that I was really, really... Um, quite intent on doing because as a filmmaker myself, you know the thing that we're really advocating for is not the idea of women making films for women. It's definitely about women making films alongside male filmmakers and making it for everyone. So we removed women from the title and that's a big part of it as well. So it's really great to be on a show with three boys because it means that it's working. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) We always
2: make jokes about how we... uh, Setting equality backward on <laughs> this show. So we have yeah. to do things like this in order to this prove is, otherwise. This is, definitely this is not a- tokenistic. <laughs> I, I,
3: I'm going to specify here <laughs> we are three dudes, but we are very conscious of what we were trying to do. It's just talking about movies at uh, three dudes. So But sorry. I think
1: it's great. Like, you know, effectively what we want is and I love that you guys are interested and like, you know, interested in the program because it means that, you know, we're we're creating the platform that we want, which is effectively to say women make great films. We just need to make space for them. End of story. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And I think most significantly, um, is this focus of the festival on not just international filmmakers but local filmmakers and I understand a priority of yours is providing a voice for Empowering local creators.
2: Yeah. To what extent is that a mission for the festival?
1: Like, it's it's not something that we have in writing per se, but it's definitely something. Like, I I made my first feature when I was living in London, and that was shot in um, Paris and London, and then I came back here and realised that there was realistically not that much opportunity for local filmmakers because, you know, if you're not working within the um, the regular kind of Screen Australia model where do you screen your features? And, you know, I think one of the the big anomalies within the Australian film industry is that when you look at radio stations, you know, Triple J has a quota. They have to, you know, have this much Australian content. But when you look at our big, big festivals like Sydney or MIF they don't. So what effectively does that make the festival vehicle um, for the local industry? It should be about capacity raising. So we really try and build relationships with um, with filmmakers. So I, I spend a lot of time kind of on the kind of industry rags, making sure that I know what's going into production. So when I know that a, a female film or something that has majority female crew, I'll reach out to them and be like, hey guys, when you're finished, let me know. So we really try to keep abreast of everything and so when it's done we can provide that safety net because effectively every filmmaker makes a film for an audience and it's so hard to find them sometimes
2: do you think it's part of the responsibility of a film festival to create demand you know
1: yeah yeah do you
2: i think so yeah yeah but i think a lot of the time people are it's so tough in the market these days that people are you know, going for what sells, even in, in the big film festivals where they could easily slot in. Yeah, you know something a bit more left of centre. I think they're going after the easy pulls yeah. way too often.
1: Absolutely, and I know that this might sound very controversial, but you know, we we work with a with a body called Countess who basically do counts on different galleries and we actually ran a count on um, Sydney Film Festival's program last year and of 288 features two were directed by Australian women and one was 20 years old. So that just shows you how difficult it is to find those screening opportunities and I think it's this vicious cycle where you know if you want to kind of create more capacity in the Australian industry you have to show Australian audiences what the market is making and what the industry is doing.
3: Even in the retrospective space, I mean, I'm I'm yet to see a retrospective of a female filmmaker in Sydney Film Festival or even at MIF, so, which is kind of pretty sad, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing. We're setting the kind of the steering or the, you know, the rudder for how Australians feel about their own sector. So it's really important for us to be like, this is out there, come and see it.
0: Have you found, it's really fascinating, have you found that local filmmakers have been receptive to this and people have been reaching out, the people you've people spoken to are keen to exhibit and present their films to a wider audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I know I know a lot of independent filmmakers who, you know, the, the best that they can hope for sometimes is a cast and crew screening, and I think that that's really tragic. Like, you know, I think that realistically... When I, you know, and again, this might be very controversial, but you, one of the big, big um, important things about what we do is that by choosing these films and by screening them, it then makes them visible to a national audience through actor. So it means that they can't be ignored. It means that that work that women are putting into their own careers, that's then countered, tracked you know they become a part of a data set so it's really important for us to actually show that rather than you know I don't know if you've heard this but I hear this all the time like where are the female filmmakers and it's like no they're definitely they're there they're there We're, (laughs) we're there so we you know by spotlighting and by making them visible that also means that we can start to advocate for more opportunities and I think that you know it's it's tough for everyone. I think it's tough for every independent filmmaker. So realistically what we try and say is that if it's good for the emerging female sector, it's going to be good for the entire emerging sector.
0: Well, I think it's really important and certainly a number of screen bodies including Screen Australia have focused on this issue and it's I'm so glad that there's a festival championing this. And speaking of that and of the program, one of the films I'm looking forward to is actually a world premiere Hot Mess by an Australian filmmaker.
1: Yeah, Lucy Coleman. I actually saw a rough cut of this maybe over a year ago um, and I just I mean it, it's it is it's independent cinema at its best like she made it on the weekends and she pulled in favors you know it was made pretty much over the course of a year and it's got that real sense of like it's kind of a mumblecore film but it's kind of this really Australian take on it where you can see that the performers are not then not Influenced by American cinema, it's very much about the relationships that they create on sta- uh, on screen together. So, yeah, it's really funny and irreverent and it's just, it's very, it's very sweet. I loved it.
3: One of the films that I'm looking forward to is an Indonesian spaghetti western. It was actually... <laughs> in a, a what? My, yeah, in the, in the, yeah, not like spaghetti and in, in western. Yeah, like, like spaghetti meatballs, like that kind of thing. You know, the good old genre mashup uh, from Indonesia. And it actually ended up in one of my top films from last year in that best off list. So it's called Marlene the Murderer in four acts. Mm. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I saw that at it- um, Cannes Film Festival last year and I was absolutely blown away people were like what is a sate Western and I was like that's the greatest marketing tool of all time making up a new genre so yeah I mean she's a she's an incredible filmmaker it's a beautiful looking film there's so much about it that's so so deeply cinematic but it's really really feminist at it, at its core it's a it's a rape revenge story effectively but it's told with such a reverence and such grace it really brings the entire audience along with it so we've actually um yeah we, we're actually alongside the uh, Marlena the murderer we're world preming, premiering a, um, a short film called Trigger Happy um, which is also it's brilliant it's um, by a Sydney filmmaker called Sunny Grace um, and shot by Valinda Wardell ACS and it's beautiful it's, it's pretty much quite similar and so it's a really happy marriage so I've been like pushing that screening on to, to everyone it's 9.30 on Saturday the 14th it's going to be a corker
0: this some of my favourite screenings. We have the double bill and a short one and when they come out and talk to you about the film, it's 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 a, it's a special experience.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we always do. We always p- partner shorts with features because it's really important that short filmmakers have something to aspire to as well. It can be really hard when you're in a kind of short screening session because you kind of feel like, oh God, you know, it's just all the short films. So by kind of putting them together and we do actually, we curate them together as well. So we really think about what works together um and so you know what we have found is that the audience then gravitates to the short filmmaker because it's very rare that we're going to be able to bring out an international director on our meager budgets but that then gives them a kind of an additional level of cultural currency as well which is just so nice
0: so. No, it is, and something else I'm looking forward to. Friday the 13th is coming up, and uh, like all Friday the 13th acolytes, you know, you, people find things to do that are unique to this date. And one thing is down in is Merrickville at mm-hmm. Addison Road Picture
1: House. I stay in
3: bed on Friday the 13th. I don't <laughs> leave the house.
1: You, scardy Cat. <laughs> He's
0: very superstitious. Yeah, well, I'm not. I'm not taking you to this, but I. I am going, and anyone else can join me. This is really cool. You have a. Fright Night Triple.
1: Yeah, we do. So we actually ran um, our first Fright Night last year. We did a yeah same thing, a six hour horror marathon in a car park. And I was very, very stoked to see that it sold out. And yeah, we. It was just such a great night last year that I was like, look, there is so much appetite for female horror, and we really wanted to create another kind of experience. So we've taken a more kind of global snapshot. Last year we had XX by Roxanne Benjamin. We brought her out, and we played Near Dark, which is her favorite, um, uh, her favorite film. And we also had uh, Bitch, which came from Sundance. But this year we've got. Um, so we've got a an Argentinian film uh, called Friendly Beast, which is really really good and incredibly tense. Um, we've got a film called Blew My Mind that Chris was talking about, which is a it's a bit of a mermaid horror,
2: mermaid coming of age metaphor by the sound of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is a Swiss film, um, and. Uh, Oh, what's these MFA? The, MFA, the MFA? The of course, of, of, the course oh, of course, yes. So much, so many films. So, yeah. I'm already forgetting.
3: Exactly, like that MFA program that I'm never going to enroll in because <laughs> I am. I've got a job.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was uh, Natalia Le- Lights' film. So that was at um, South by Southwest. It's actually the the feature debut of um, Clint Eastwood's daughter.
2: Right. Yeah. Interesting. Which is, and- Directing or acting? Acting. Acting, right? Yeah,
1: Francesca Eastwood. She's the lead. And she's, yeah, it's a corker of a role. And she absolutely smashes it. It's very cool.
3: Moving on to the doco space, because I feel documentaries kind of get left behind in this (laughs) sort of horde of, you know, oh my God, look at the feature films out there. And the documentary people are like, you know, oh, what about the documentaries? Mm, They're having to compete with like mermaids and... (laughs) revenge stories yeah. and westerns
1: Beat that real life yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> But I think I, I have found something which can beat that which is the Indian matchmaking world I know that because a lot of my friends are of that marriageable age and they curse me all the time that mm-hmm. I've escaped that world somehow So tell us a bit about A Suitable Girl which seem to delve into this sort of mythos of how people get arranged marriage in India
1: Yeah it's a really incredible film I saw this on the festival circuit um, middle of last year and yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's really – it's quite hard-hitting in a lot of ways because it's about the tension between um, modernity and traditional culture effectively. So, you know, the three women that it is, um, it's about – basically it's about them – kind of hitting their late 20s early 30s and the societal and familial pressure that kind of beats down on them and how they really deal with that and so it's it's a really interesting film because it you know I, I, I'm i you know my my cultural background is white as white can be so it's really interesting to actually look at At this, not in a, um, it's it's kind of beyond an observational documentary. If that makes sense, you really feel like you're a part of that. Like the the access that the filmmakers had, they spent a really long time building up relationships with these women. So it's it's incredibly heartfelt.
3: And it's interesting to note how. It seems as if that entire world has been commercialised and it's become business in itself, which is yeah. fascinating to just think about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the other doc that I, I would definitely recommend as well, I spent a, a while trying to trying to secure it. It's called Flames. Um, and it's a hybrid doc by um, Josephine Decker and Zephyr Thrall. So they're both performance artists. Um, performance artists based in New York and they actually filmed their relationship their real life relationship over five years so it basically tracks from when they first meet because like all performance artists you just decide to turn the camera on yourself when you're first dating someone Um, and then it just tracks all the way to the relationship dissolution and it's incredible and weird and really really compelling so yeah that one was yeah it was definitely it kind of breaks the kind of um I guess the regular kind of documentary mold and one of the interesting things about that is that it's co-directed by both of them which is yeah again weird and kind of great (laughs)
0: Fantastic. And uh, Changing Tech Ever So Slightly, it's a very diverse program. Mm. Um, you have a screening at event cinemas of the 30th anniversary of a film I remember watching quite a few times as a kid. And on one hand, it's interesting because there's a particular reason you've chosen this film, I understand, but also there's a particular thing that is accompanying the screening, which I never thought I'd see in my lifetime and <laughs> I'm so happy to try out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, Big by Penny Marshall is actually it's the first Uh, first female-directed film to make over $100 million at the box office. So it's super significant because it really broke the glass ceiling in terms of, you know, the kind of cultural stigma that women don't make popular films. And so, yeah, it was great that it's turning the big 30 this year and so i um i tracked down the big piano um which took a lot of work and actually it was invented by a man called Remo Saracini who is italian and after a number of very broken broken kind of English Skypes with him because he's in his 70s now in Italy, we um, tracked down a little section of the, well, not not a small section, but a section of the piano and it's being shipped over now. So it arrives next week.
0: That's, I can oh, this is going to be great. We're all going and we're going to, what song are we going to do?
1: I don't know. I've
3: always imagined my death would be a piano falling on my head. So I can just <laughs> imagine that actually happening in real life, finally. <laughs>
1: I think Uh, you'd have to headbutt this on the floor. Yeah,
3: this one, I think it would be very
2: difficult to pull
1: that off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not that you want to read in the newspaper next day. It's, oh, dear.
3: Remember a film fight club. Film
1: critic does <laughs> <A> <laughs>
3: Collapses onto the floor The weight of my own film uh, mediocrity or something. I don't
1: know. <laughs> no, it should be really, really fun. So, we yeah, that's going to be installed um, just out the front of the set bar in event cinemas. So you can go in and play it whenever you want. And, yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's like, we're really into the idea of creating experiential um, content around films to kind of make them special again because we all have Netflix and you you need a reason to kind of step outside of your house and you know put the effort into not wear pajamas so I just thought that this would be a really nice way to kind of lure people out. Yeah. We
0: talk a lot about Netflix and the, its appeals. This is something Netflix does not and will never have. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty glad.
1: Yeah,
3: I'd still rock up in my pajamas to any <laughs> screening, though. Now, now I'm going to publicly admit this. <laughs> well, yeah.
1: actually, you, I mean, you could effectively call that costume because Josh in big yes. wears his wears his um, pajamas most That's of the time, right. so you could get away with it. It's Socially acceptable.
0: Zoltar is okay with this. It, it'll it'll happen. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. That's all right, I crave.
3: Your <laughs> <laughs> approval of for, for thing. Not
0: Saltar. People are looking, you see at home thinking you're sitting in a box with like this goatee now. Great, thanks for that. <laughs> and so you are screening get event cinemas, but yeah. the other amazing venue, as we mentioned earlier, is the Addison Road Picture House, which is quite new and it's quite an incredible yeah. space.
1: Yeah, it's, it's number one, it's ginormous. But yeah, we're going to be kitting it out with a bunch of um, kind of single bean bags so it'll be really cushy and fun in there Um, and then we're also doing um, we're doing another event um, at Create or Die in Marrickville if you know that so we actually have Cool space. Yeah, super cool. So we we're doing one of our activated screenings, which means that we, you know, basically bust out of a regular cinema and we build some kind of like bonkers stuff around it. So we've got this film called Bobby Jen, which is a dance film. Um, and we also have the world premiere of Ben Saunders short. Frankie which is also about a contemporary dancer so we're actually flying in the contemporary dancer um her name's Frances Snowden and she's actually going to be performing her piece live that's actually on screen so it's this kind of lovely kind of dance themed event so that's the the final kind of venue as well.
0: Fantastic, I'm looking forward to it. And lastly, for the people out there who are looking forward to the festival and want to go, how do we get tickets? But also the people who haven't been before and think you're going, what do you have to whether it be filmmakers or film viewers, what do you have to say to them?
1: Yeah, I mean jump online. It's ww.forfilmsake.org. You can check out the program. Um yeah, I mean the big thing for us is that we're an access festival, so we keep our ticket's pretty cheap um, it's 18 bucks across the board which is about four dollars cheaper than your regular cinema um, but if you are a, a member of event cinemas we've cut a deal with them where it's only 14 bucks a film so it's definitely yeah like we really try to mitigate the risk because we want people to come effectively and I think you know we we have 21 films this year they're all stuff that I would definitely see and that's something that it can be really hard in the bigger festivals because there's so much choice and you can kind of be like, oh, is this good? I don't know. Should I go? Well, I can definitely say all of this is really good. I would definitely see it all you, again. I mean, it's only 21
3: films. Go see every one of them.
0: <laughs> you know? What are you doing with your life anyway? We, we'll, we'll be there. So you come say hi and play some piano with us. If you can't, we, You'll pick the song. As long as it's something about Elton John, I'm, we're going to be totally fine.
3: Yeah, you know, something like Wednesday, Wednesday instead of Saturday, Saturday, because it's Film Fight Club. <laughs>
0: It's true. So, Sophie, it's been an absolute pleasure. We look forward to seeing you again at the festival. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We'll be back right after this.
3: Doctor Who Doctor Who Hey! Who In the Doctor TARDIS who. Doctor Who Hey! Doctor Who Doctor who. who In the TARDIS Welcome back to
0: Film Fight Club and that was Doctoring in the TARDIS by the Time Lords. I am so
3: happy this exists. I know, I'm so fanboying right now.
0: We, we
2: actually played it because we thought that doctor who started in <laughs> april but oh, it actually yeah it, it actually starts in september so you can say we sent that tune back in time for you guys just for your enjoyment exactly because our- it's
3: all timey wimely wibbly wobbly yes
2: stuff. from our september film fight club episode
0: <laughs> it's, it's september now no it is not september it is april
3: wake me up when april september falls and- <laughs> not, not anymore it's a
0: past midday. day yeah and, and sunday <laughs> <laughs> but there, it is April, which means that it is festival season and the Spanish Film festivals on it. It's playing Palace Cinemas from April 18th through to May. And we were at the media launch at Palace Cinemas and we saw one of the films which will be screening at this year's festival. And this is Abracadabra. This is starring... Maribel Verdú, who played the lead in *Pans Labyrinth*, which will also be closing out this year's festival. It is directed by Pablo Berger, and it's a strange one. It's a genre mashup. It is a comedy-drama relationship drama about a married couple, um, including the uh, the wife who is not particularly happy with her boorish and many senses completely unsympathetic husband, and they attend a wedding at which point, um, shall we say that he undergoes due to a a uh, hypnosis event, a radical personality change. Throughout the film, we learn more about exactly what happened and the implications for him and their relationship. And it goes through some pretty weird and strange turns. Um, the Spanish Film Festival always have an amazing lineup every year. Comedies, dramas, everything. And this is one that we'll be screening throughout, uh, not just in Sydney, but around the country. What did we think of Abracadabra? Strange is the right word for it. This movie feels
2: like one of those weird foreign movies you'd catch on SBS at 11.30 at night and you'd just think, Am I falling asleep? Is this, <laughs> am I dreaming? What am I watching? It is indeed a very strange genre mashup. And I don't think it always works because, in fact, I think it. it it doesn't work more often than it works. It becomes quite interesting at the end with a, a turn towards surrealism and earnest drama, but that's after you know the majority of the movie has been a very broad comedy and one that I think is um, doesn't really care to develop its characters much because it's more about the gags and the the absurdity. But then at the end, expects us to go with this very kind of um earnest turn that's all about the character drama. And that's with a pit stop in the middle into horror. And I think, <laughs> yeah, this kind of genre juggling can be very hard to pull off. And I don't think this movie succeeds.
3: Yeah, because, look, in in the opening somewhere of the first 20 odd minutes, I thought I was watching a Lindsay Lohan movie, you know, like Freaky Friday. Yeah, it's Friday like Freaky Friday, Friday concept. Meets uh, you know? Just My Luck, which is actually a very underrated movie. If you haven't seen Just My Luck, go see Just My Luck. It's Chris Pine's finest moment in acting. So, you know, not Wonder Woman. Just My Luck was Chris Fein's fine film. He was good in
0: that. It was a fine film. Was, uh, and now apparently the most profitable superhero film released last year.
3: Not Wonder Woman. I'm talking about Just My Luck. So, um, you know, keep up with, you know. Just things. My Luck was the the highest grossing was superhero film of last year. <laughs> Probably was. Of all years. You did have a go at Wonder Woman, to be fair. Yes, okay. Uh, Coming back to Abracadabra, which is not a Lindsay Lohan movie, but I thought it was for like the opening, sort of whatever minutes. And then it actually becomes serious somewhat and has this sort of segue into mental health and actually becomes quite a serious drama study. And you start to sympathize with these characters and see where they might go. But it hasn't
2: subtly laid the foundation for that. No. It kind of comes out of nowhere.
3: Exactly. And then you get confused what the actual tone of the movie is. Yeah. Because I'm then wrestling how to feel about, you know, I'm then lost. There's no navigational guide for you to actually feel how the yep. movie should Cause go. Because
2: it, it almost seems like it, it, it doesn't want us to take it seriously. It's, you know, you need to just sort of go with a lot of the strange gags in this movie because it does a lot of things that... You know, require a lot of suspension of disbelief. It's, it's, you can't do that and then expect it to be taken completely seriously.
0: Well, my major issue with it was that we started, as was mentioned, as a comedy, and it has an amazing backbone for a comedy an amazing setup. And it brought us into this drama without laying that groundwork, essentially, as you said. The comedic idea of this film, the essential conceit, is that there is a hypnotist who hypnotizes someone and, and then doesn't do it exactly right, and then can't quite figure out how to deal with this. And that is a hilarious idea. You have this joke-type magician, and this—it's it's a great comedy development <laughs>
2: reference for all those <laughs> playing at home. And
0: they're tr- <laughs> illusions, Michael. And <laughs> it's not a trick, Michael. <laughs> And this, this would be a great idea for a comedy, but if it didn't follow that through, and there are scenes later where they try to go in a comedic group where it goes into the surreal direction, but that is actually dealing with some of the darker aspects of this film, which they also did not explore. There is a underlying, quite difficult theme, which emerges later, mm. and if they spent the feature exploring this, it could have added something I don't think it quite did in that respect.
3: But at the same time, not selling this movie short, I think even though it doesn't come together as a whole, there are individual scenes that do stand out. One of the scenes, which were my favorites, were the dance sequence that happened. The way it's shot, actually, it's really interesting as well.
0: I'd argue a couple of dance sequences. One later we don't want to ruin, which happens in a roundabout way, but one in the club, which was excellent.
3: Yeah, that
2: great gag um, that Glenn is referring to is, for me, the standout of the film, but it exemplifies... An aspect of the movie that i found hard to balance out with the turn it takes towards the end which is really early on i was finding this to be quite a kind of nasty movie because there are no likable characters and then you throw in this murder kind of subplot and there's just a kind of um there's there's just a kind of feeling like this movie doesn't have much love in it
3: yeah i A lot of these twists and supposed turns in the entire dramatic arc don't feel earned. Mm. We don't know where they're coming from and actually, you know, why does the character want something in that situation? Especially the wife's sort of journey that we're supposed to be on. Uh, A lot of these decisions she makes, we're not quite sure why she makes them in the first
2: place. Yeah, the characters are all either fools or actively repugnant people and then the, the wife is just this kind of passive... Quiet woman who, yeah, she's a a cypher.
0: And there was the central function of this one scene, and my actual favorite scene in the film, where she goes along and she's supposed to have a revelatory experience, um, basically going to visit a house on behalf of a real estate agent. But the scene stops coming about her. It becomes a performance piece for this real estate agent. And he is absolutely superb. It's the funniest, most outlandish scene in the film. It feels like it's actually part of a separate short film. And a lot of this film does feel like separate vignettes. But there's the problem. We're dealing with this interesting character who they just leave to the side to deal with this random fellow who is fascinating but only pops in for one sequence
2: yeah the scene that glenn's talking about is another example of something that requires this suspension of disbelief because you know it it involves a real estate agent going really unprofessional <laughs> and forgetting what his, his job is. Actually,
3: but, i met quite a few of those unprofessional real
2: estate people. Right, <laughs> have we all? But yeah, that scene and the other dance scene that we referred to earlier, I think represent what this movie should have been, which is embracing its nihilism and just, you know, have uh, going for really dark comedy at the spectacle of, of murder, you know, because it's not a, an earnest character drama. We don't really care about these characters, so why not embrace the mayhem that this Premise opens up the doors to.
0: So, if you wish to embrace the mayhem, Abracadabra is screening at the Spanish Film Festival. Um, It is screening from April 17 through May 6 at Palisades. The opening night film is Tribe. We'll be talking about the festival more as well as the film's sake, which we had Sophie on earlier in the program. And next week, we will be discussing Wes Anderson's new film, isle of Dogs. Or I Love Dogs. I Love Dogs. We all love dogs.
2: Very clever, phonetic use of uh, the title there, isn't it?
0: It is. Have a wonderful night enjoy movies enjoy dogs and have a have a safe drive home
2: we always enjoy dogs we love you good night